guys. Welcome to church. It's great to have you here. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's my privilege to be able to bring the word this morning. And we are continuing our series through our core values. So our core values as a church are celebrate, connect, and contribute. And the past couple weeks, we've talked about celebrating. And what we have to celebrate as a church is the good news. Jesus loves sinners. Isn't that awesome? So we rejoice in that good news of the gospel. And then we connect on the basis of loving one another. So we love each other. Even though we're sinful, we move toward each other. We care for each other. We meet each other's needs. And then we still have more to give. And so we contribute everything that we have to the mission of Jesus. But be honest with yourself right now. What really is the third C in your life? Because I think if some of us will do a quick self-examination, maybe the third C in our life is criticize the church or it's consume, right? You show up. But here's what's true about you is you don't want that to be true. And I was reminded of that as I preached at my friend Beth Orlowski's funeral yesterday and I was walking around looking at the different picture boards that were there, and I heard testimonies from her friends in all the different spheres of her life. And here's what was true about Beth's life. She contributed. She was generous. She was all in for Jesus. And everybody who was at that funeral left feeling like, I want my life to be marked by generosity. And there's something sobering and realistic about being at a funeral which ignites in you your true passion for life. So here's what I'm assuming, is that you want this. You want to be all in. And so I just want to stir us up by way of reminder what the true purpose of our life is. And that's, that's that God's generosity to us is meant to flow through us. We're not meant to be cul-de-sacs of God's grace. We're meant to be channels of God's grace. So four reasons Christians get to be marked by generosity from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The first one is that generosity is an investment. We're going to start off by looking at verses 6 through 7. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul compares giving financially or in any other way to farming. And he says, think about a farmer. A farmer goes out into a field with seed and he spreads the seed generously. Why? Because he knows that he's not losing the seed, he's investing the seed. So you've never seen a farmer standing next to a field crying because he wasted all of the seed. He's rejoicing. Because he's waiting for a crop. So here's 
what we believe at Salt City. We don't believe in giving out of a sense of duty or a sense of guilt. We believe in giving cheerfully because we believe that the kingdom of God is the greatest possible investment of everything that you have. I was reminded of this reality in this latest Minnesota drought. So just be glad if you don't have a lawn, all right? Because my whole front lawn died, which has kind of been the bane of my existence lately. And so I had to spread compost all over the front of my lawn and then wait a little bit, rake that compost in to the dead grass. And then we had to plant seed all over my front lawn. So there were these bags of seed just sitting in my garage for about a month. And then when the time came, my wife and I went out and spread that seed generously. But neither of us was like, oh my goodness, we should have left the seed in the garage. What a waste. There has been no lament. There has been only joy. Because we don't have any grass in our yard. And that grass was purchased as an investment into our lawn so that it would look nice again. And Paul's saying, here's what your life is. Everything that you have. All of your money, all of your talent, everything that you are, it's seed. And you have a choice. It can either sit in the garage of your life or it can be invested into the lawn of God's kingdom. And it is meant to be invested. It's not a waste to give your life to the things of God. It's the very purpose for which you were created. And Paul says, basically, I dare you to give your life away generously. Because the more that you give your life away, contrary to popular belief, the more joy you will have. So that's the first thing. Generosity is an investment. We're just getting started. The second thing that Paul says is that generosity is stewardship. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 through 11. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Paul reframes what we consider our lives. He says, everything that you have is a gift from God. God has made his grace abound in your life. He's given you your life. Your unique set of talents and abilities, the amount of money that you have, the family background that you have, your citizenship in this country, everything that you have is a gift from God. And he has been 
super abundantly generous to you. Even in your suffering, there is an opportunity to steward that suffering for the glory of God. By rejoicing in your suffering, knowing that God has been good to you, rather than complaining about it. Literally everything that you have is an opportunity to be generous to other people and to point them toward the living hope that we have in Jesus. But we can so easily miss out on this by either having sort of a poverty mentality about our life and looking at our life and comparing ourselves to others and thinking, if I had their talent, if I had their ability, if I had their amount of money, then I would be generous. But since I'm so poor and I have nothing, there's really nothing that I have to give away. That's one mentality we can have. Or we can take credit for what we have. And we can say, essentially, this isn't a gift from God. I am richly supplied. Aren't I great? Aren't I smart? Haven't I richly supplied for myself? And because it's my supply and it's my work and I get the credit, then I can do whatever I want with it. And Paul defeats both of these perspectives by saying that you are richly supplied and that the credit doesn't go to you, it goes to God. So you are not an owner of your life, you are a steward of your life. And God is saying, you have one life to live. Don't waste it. Remember when I was in high school, my parents gave me a credit card when I turned 16. And they told me that the only thing that I was to put on that credit card was gas. And for a while, all I put on the credit card was gas. But I thought about different opportunities that I had to spend money on different things, but I realized that my parents would get the bill, and at the end of the month, they'd call me on it, and I'd have to pay them back for it, so I didn't spend money on anything else. That is until one day, I had a car full of guys. I stopped at the gas station, and I realized that I would be able to slip some drinks and food onto the credit card unnoticed. So I went into the gas station, and I bought my friends a round of big old pops and chips and all that. And I did it a, a number of times. And I thought I was getting away with it because it was sort of disappearing. It just said Speedway on the credit card bill. And years later, after I got to know Jesus better, I circled back around with my parents and I confessed because the Holy Spirit was bugging me about it. I was like, man, guys, I didn't just spend that money on gas. I spent it on food. And I'll never forget my dad's like, I know. Like, the bill was going up. I'm not stupid. I'm like, oh, shoot. I was living with guilt for years. I wish I would have known that. But what was I doing? Why, why did I feel guilty? Because I was not being a good steward of my parents' credit card. I started to consider myself an owner instead of a steward. And so I stepped outside of their design. And some of you... You feel guilty in your relationship with God because although you are saved, you have considered 
yourself an owner of your life. And you need to do business with God. You need to go back to God and you need to say, I'm sorry. I have not been spending my life the way that you have commanded me to spend my life. I've considered my life my own. And we need to join with the Apostle Paul in saying, my life is not my own. I have been bought with a price. And then his conclusion is, therefore, I will glorify God in my body. Whether it's life or death, whatever it is, that is the ambition of my life. And it starts with seeing ourselves as stewards, not owners. The third thing that the Apostle Paul wants us to see is that generosity is an opportunity. Look with me at verse 12. He says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So he's writing about this church that has been super generous, specifically with their money. And he's saying, here's the result of generosity. Many thanksgivings are going to God. People all over the world are praising God because of their generosity. And the money is meeting real people's needs. So when you overflow with generosity, there's worship and there's also love. Your life can make a real difference. And when we consume and consume and fatten ourselves up, instead of spending our money to serve others, we never experience the joy of using our money as an opportunity. And I want you to experience that joy. You know, I get to experience the joy of sort of receiving the thanks for the money that has been given by our church family. And one example of that, I was on the phone with a good friend who's also a missionary overseas. His name's Clint Robinson. And I knew that he was calling me because he needed more support for his missionary work. Salt City already supports him. And I already knew that he was going to ask, and I already knew that I was going to say yes at the end of the conversation. But we had a great conversation just catching up on God's work in Thailand and the joy that it was for them to start this new work. And Clint struggled to learn a new language. And at the end of the conversation, he asked me if we would re-up on our support and give more money. And I was able to report to him that at the beginning of COVID, we kind of had some concerns as a leadership team, like what's going to happen? And is our attendance going to drop? And is our giving going to drop? Are people going to lose jobs? And I was able to report to him, God has been super abundantly generous to us. And we are overflowing. Our giving went up. People have been more generous than ever. And so because of our abundance that God has supplied to us, now we can overflow with generosity to you guys. And I got to hear him both worship God and thank us and report to me how that money was being put to good use so that people in Thailand who have never heard the gospel of Jesus are now hearing it. 
You see, your giving, no matter how small and insignificant it feels, is an opportunity for the gospel to spread in both word and deed, literally to the ends of the earth. Why would you want to miss out on that? But here's the thing. Here's what makes giving distinctly Christian. We're not giving because we're trying to earn favor with God. We are giving as a response to what God has already done for us in Christ. We are giving because we have God's approval. In other words, generosity is not a work for us. It is a response. A response to what? Paul spells it out clearly for us in the last three verses we're going to look at. Verses 13 through 15. He says, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now let's double-click on verse 13 again. It says, Submission flowing from the confession of the gospel of Christ. And in that short verse, we have the secret to a life of generosity. A life of responding to the gospel of Christ. So our Christian life begins with a confession of the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is that the great king and creator of the universe took on human flesh. He became a baby, then a boy, then a man. And he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He looked at his life and he said, My life is not my own, but I will give my life freely to you. And so Jesus Christ hung on the cross as a homeless man, without clothes. Why did he do that? So that by his poverty, you might become rich. So if you're a Christian, You have confessed that that is good news. So although we believe that the grace of God is free to us, we know that it came at great cost to the Son of God. We are saved by His generosity to us. His great contribution on the cross is the only ground of our salvation and our only hope in life and death. That's it. And Paul says, one of the expressions of our faith ought to be to submit to that gospel. What does it look like to submit? Looks like saying, if I have been saved 
by the generosity of Jesus. And Jesus is saying that other people in this world will be saved by my generosity to them, which pictures for a dying world the richness of God's grace. Then instead of standing before the cross with all of my stuff in my hands with pride, I will bow the knee to King Jesus and I will say, everything that I have is yours. And I won't do that with any sense of guilt or any sense of duty, but I will do that with tears in my eyes. I will do that with a heart that is willing and a heart that is overflowing. And I will have this feeling continually throughout my life that my life, even when it's overflowing with generosity at its best, could never pay Jesus back. Because he's done too much for me. And so generosity for us is not even seen as a sacrifice. It's seen as worship. A reasonable response to what Jesus has done. Here's how Paul states succinctly what I just explained. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Guys, we are rich. We are overflowing, spiritually, monetarily, in every way. We have been blessed by King Jesus. Even our suffering, James says, we are to count it all joy. And so, what should our response be? Now, what happens a lot of times in a church service is this where the pastor like lays down the boom. Okay, now it's time for the challenge. It's time for the guilt. It's time to unroll the building campaign. You know, this is set up. Do you know what I think it's time for? I think it's time for us to remember what we have in Christ. It's time for us to examine ourselves. It's time for us each individually to respond. And I can't give you a number that you should give to the church. I can't give you a time commitment. I can't give you a list of things to do. All I can say is I want you to see what Jesus has done for you in a fresh way. And what I'm concerned about is not the bank account of Salt City. I'm not concerned about myself. I'm not concerned that God needs our money or our time or our talent. What I'm concerned about 
is that you realize the very purpose of your life. I'm concerned that at your funeral someday, as people are walking around and they're looking at the poster boards or the computers with pictures of you, and as they're sharing stories of you, I'm concerned that your life counts. And it starts now. Not with guilt, not with a challenge, but with being gripped by the generosity of Jesus in such a way that his generosity flows through your life. You want that, don't you? But you also know yourself. And you know that right now you're stirred up and that you have good intentions and that you want to give your life away. But you also know that you'll wake up tomorrow and it's Monday. <laughs> and it's hard. And so what I'm asking for from Jesus is that a miracle would take place in our lives. That we would become unself-centered. Somebody said to me after Best Funeral, they said, how does that happen in somebody's life? It seems impossible that that could take place in a human heart. And the way that it happens is the gospel plus time. One decision at a time. One response at a time. One act of love at a time. At times, one online gift. One opportunity taken to volunteer. We only have one Let's invest it in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Jesus, you have given us super abundant grace. There are so many talented people in this church. Many of us have many days left on planet Earth to glorify you. We have tons of time. And you've richly supplied us financially. God, would you give us grace to see that your kingdom is like a treasure that's hidden in a field, which a man, when he found it, in his joy, he sold all that he had and bought the field. Would you allow us to see that to sacrifice for your kingdom is no sacrifice at all, but it is the best possible investment of life would today be a turning point where we begin to invest our lives in what lasts forever in jesus name i pray amen <laughs>